Welcome to the Insights solo episodes of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. My name is Marie Gervais. If you're passionate about gleaning leadership gems from others and delight at the capacity of the human spirit to survive and thrive, this is the show for you. After interviewing 100 plus guests from diverse cultures and professions, I have learned a thing or two about what makes successful people tick and effective managers lead. In each episode, I elaborate on one or several of the themes sparked by Culture and Leadership Connections guests and reflect on how these motifs can help us all be better humans. Join me as we contribute to the leadership discourse by elevating thought around the cultures and leadership themes that influence management and work. And now for today's episode. Welcome to episode one of the solo episodes called Insights into Culture and Leadership. Today, I would like to talk to you about 100 plus people who influenced me through interviews, but I'm going to preface that with a story that I experienced where I saw the contrast of good leadership and bad leadership, to put it in black and white terms. When I was in Haiti with my son and daughter-in-law after the earthquake, my daughter-in-law is Haitian and her mother ran a not-for-profit that was educational and helped teachers to learn to set up classroom management in ways that were not harmful to the students, which was a problem in the country and probably is even more so now. When we were there, we went to one of the few schools that was still existing after the earthquake, and we saw two examples of leadership that have stuck in my mind even years after I was there. One of them was the example of a youth leader, was of Haitian heritage, and he had chosen to come and work with a group of orphans who had all been orphaned as a result of the earthquake. They no longer had parents. Many of them didn't have siblings. Some did, but mostly it was a group of boys who had nobody, and they'd been left destitute in the street. This orphanage, which was associated with the school, had many people that helped out with it. And this particular youth leader was a volunteer who had been there for two years. And he really stood out for me as an example of excellent leadership. You can lead both towards horrible things and you can lead towards good things because people can be very much influenced by your example and your inspiration. And whatever you inspire them to do, whether you inspire them to do something through love or through fear, it can very much affect their behavior and their actions. So this particular youth leader of Haitian heritage who had come from Canada to be a part of this orphanage for two years was outstanding in the way that I would characterize good leadership. So I define good leadership as that which brings help, insight, health, and healing to the individual who's the leader, to the people that that person is leading, and the environment. So it contributes to making the world a better place, whereas leadership that is not helpful or bad leadership would be what inspires the opposite. It inspires people to do things that are harmful to themselves, to others, and to the environment around them. So I'm going to go back to the example of this young man, whose name I don't currently remember. He had all of these boys gathered together in a group of about 30, and he asked them to choose a song from the repertoire of songs that they'd learned, and to choose a reading that they had to learn to read because he taught them to read. So some particular thing that they'd read that they wanted to read, and also a prayer that would inspire them. So some of the boys, he asked, which of these would you like to choose? So he gave them a choice, and they chose either a song or something that they wanted to read or prayer. And they went around and they did all of these things. So they sang the songs together. Whoever chose the song led the song. 
And this is Haiti, so it was really interesting. Whoever led the song would start the melody, and somebody else had a djembe or some other kind of a drum and would accompany them with drum, which is what I saw mostly when I was in Haiti. Lots of drum accompaniment. So we'd get the feel for the beat, and it really caught on, and people were dancing their feet in their hands, and it was great. So he had these boys choose something, one of those three things. And after they'd finished going around the circle and everybody had done what they said they wanted to do, then he asked them who would like to volunteer to say why they chose what they chose. And they then would speak about why they chose what they chose. It was really beautiful. And I appreciated it at the time. And I could see how much healing this was bringing to this group of boys. And I asked the youth leader how long he'd been doing this. And he said he came up with it just as a way to get them to start to express themselves because they were so scared of speaking when he first found them. Because if they would say something, they often had a really negative effect that would happen as a result because they were considered to be the scum of society, even though they had nothing to do with what had happened to them. They were the victims of an earthquake, as was everybody else, but yet they were still treated as being the bottom of the pile. So after this experience, the three of us went to observe a class. We observed a few classes, but the one that stood out in my mind was the example for me, which I would consider terrible leadership. So this teacher started out the class by berating the children and the youth and having individuals stand up while she spoke about what she thought their faults were. And the man who was in the next class did the same thing. So we heard from both teachers, but hers was particularly vindictive. So she humiliated three of the kids in the class. And then afterwards, as the children were learning, whatever the new topic was, anybody who made a mistake received a slap. Now, you have to remember that in many countries in the world, corporal punishment is used as part of education. This was considered common, but it had the same effect, whether it's common or not, had the same effect on the students and on us watching as it would have had on somebody who was used to it and who expected it. And the effect was shock, pain, and disbelief. So those children were treated in exactly the opposite way. They had no choice in anything. Their opinion was not sought or valued. And if they spoke out, they were punished. If they made a mistake, they were humiliated or punished. And as a result, they shrunk smaller and smaller into their desks, and they had no agency. When we worked with the youth leaders and some of the teachers together, we decided that we would create a situation called leadership soup. And we had the children in a circle, and we asked them to speak about what they would like to put into a soup if they could make a night soup, because in Haiti, there's a night soup that's made in the evening and then sold on the streets. And so we asked them, and and many of the children couldn't speak or looked like they were going to faint or burst into tears when they were asked to speak because they were so used to being punished for it. But eventually, when they realized they weren't being punished for it, they started to say what vegetable they would put in the soup or what spice they would put in the soup. And then afterwards, we asked them, what would they like to see in their lives? And the most amazing thing was that those children who were part of the youth orphans group spoke with great confidence and clarity. And they said things like, I would like to have a soup for my country where everybody has a home, or I would like everybody to have access to education, or I would like everybody to have a job where they can earn a living. They didn't ask for or say anything that they would want for themselves. They spoke really clearly about how they saw the big picture. And the other children listened in awe and then would say something very small, but it wasn't nearly as striking as what those orphan boys had said. So you could see in the same circle how the example of good and bad leadership either diminished or enhanced the capacity of the individual to be their true selves and to contribute. And so with that, I would like to go now on to the topic of the 100 guests that I have interviewed. 
Actually, it's been 120 guests, but we haven't published them all yet. So those people that I interviewed, not all of them had a story like what I just told you now. Some of them had very easy lives, but then adversity later on in their lives. Others had come from a whole tradition of leadership, and others had extreme difficulty in their lives uh, to the point where they had parents who were criminals and drug addicts, and they had to somehow find a way out of that. So I have all of those different examples, but they do have some things in common. I just wanted to tell you about six of them and ask you to reflect on how these six themes also affect you. So the first one, and the reason that I wanted to talk about the Haiti story of the youth leaders and the two teachers is because something that people spoke about in all of the interviews is the role of hardship and adversity. And sometimes the hardship and adversity was a memory from when they were young children, and it might have just been being disciplined in a gentle way for something that they'd done that was wrong. And they didn't want to repeat that again. They didn't want to lose the trust of someone they loved in their lives as a result. And sometimes the hardship was extreme, like being sold into prostitution by your own grandmother. That's the extremes of the hardship. It doesn't really seem to matter what kind of hardship and adversity you experience, as long as you experience it within yourself as memorable. And that hardship and adversity was extremely important to helping them form who they wanted to be in the world and the effect that they wanted to have on the world. And so it's really interesting to see how everybody in some way, shape, or form spoke about hardship and adversity. And that leads me to the second piece that they also had in common, which is those who are alive and thriving enough that they're able to speak to my questions on the podcast, understand the value of transformation from suffering. So they didn't just suffer in the hardship and adversity and then walk away damaged and remain the same. They reflected on what happened and they made conscious choices to transform. And as a result of both the suffering and the conscious decisions to transform, they developed empathy. And that empathy allowed them to connect much more easily with other people and to be able to influence other people in a way that was very touching. Now, not everybody that I interviewed had that empathy, but I would say the majority did. And um, of those who didn't, there was a particular characteristic, which leads to my third insight, There was a particular characteristic of thinking that they needed to do everything on their own, not be influenced by others, and not participate in any group in a really active, meaningful way. Only three out of 100 plus had that attitude. I'd be willing to bet that their influence is a lot less than those who felt empathy and who had transformed suffering into insight through reflection and continued to do things that were really beneficial in the world. Now, those three that I interviewed who didn't seem to have that sense of being part of a group, part of society, or a desire to do things that made them a part of the world rather than setting themselves apart from it, maybe that's just the place they were at in their personal journeys right now. But no man is an island, and all of us are the result of standing on the shoulders of giants. The fact that we're alive through great difficulty and adversity, is survival. But when we thrive, it's when we move beyond that through reflection to consider how we can use the influences of others in positive ways. And that takes me now to my fourth thing that was in common. And that is that everybody that I've interviewed, without exception, had some sense of purpose 
and belief that informed who they are today. And this sense of purpose and belief would evolve. So it's not like it started fully formed or that it completely changed so that they were different people now than they used to be maybe 10 or 20 years ago. But their beliefs and sense of purpose became more nuanced, more complex, but also more interesting and more responsive. And so this idea of having a sense of purpose and belief that is open to evolution has really been common in all of the people that I interviewed. And I'd like to quote, misquote maybe, John Clear, who wrote in Atomic Habits, that identity should remain fluid, but values solid. So if we base our identity on some behavior or some rigid idea that that's who we are, we're not likely to evolve as leaders. But if we hold fast to values that we know are going to make a difference for us and others, and we're open to the influence around us, then we can allow identity to be malleable. We can be who we are without having to attach ourselves to some specific behavior, some specific cultural practice, or some must-have belief that others hold. So that was really interesting insight for me. The fifth one is that although influential leaders did not always experience the same types of adversity in the early part of their lives, some of them had great privilege and also great talent. Some were so talented that they rose to the top because they were far above talent-wise than anybody around them, no matter what their circumstances were. They either had privilege or talent or both. But even so, they would face unexpected challenges because that's what life throws at you. And as a result, they gained humility. So the people that I interviewed were humble. They weren't full of themselves. They weren't thinking how great they were and how they needed to draw attention to themselves all the time because they were thinking about how life happens and how even if you think you're above something, You aren't when it actually hits, and that bred humility. So when you think about all of these different people that I've interviewed, they had this really interesting list of commonalities that they are not conscious of necessarily themselves, but I'm going to state them again as we finish off this episode. One is that they had hardship and adversity, and that they were able to transform suffering consciously through reflection, which developed empathy, which and that's the second point. And they also had strong influence of purpose and belief, which helped them to have an identity that was more fluid and values that remained strong. The third and the fourth point was that those who were advantaged or talented or privileged in some way still faced difficulties and as a result developed humility. The next one is that people didn't say that they were not influenced by others, other than the three that I mentioned generally. They always said that they had influence by others and that piece of belonging within different communities was important to them in developing their sense of place in the world and purpose and also how they led. And one thing that I didn't mention earlier on is the influence and example of parents and family. Every single one of those people I interviewed had some experience of family. And whether it was an experience of family that they later lost or had to overcome or one that they experienced vicariously. They all had some experience of family, and this remained foundational for everyone. I don't think there was a single person who said, my parents didn't influence me, and nothing happened as a result of me being born into that family context. It may not always have been positive, but it was always there. 
And it just makes me think how important it is to be a parent and how important it is for us to reflect as parents on what we're saying and doing that will help our children to develop the type of character that we would be proud of as they grow up. We may make mistakes. We may move forward in ways that we regret later. But as long as we're willing to reflect on it and come back to that with humility, we can move forward. This is also true in the workplace. We will make mistakes if we're in managerial positions, if we're in C-suite positions. If we don't have a formal role, but we are in positions of influence anyway, there will be things that we're not always proud of that we do. But if we reflect on them and think, how can I transform from this? And how can I influence in a way that is going to be good for me, good for others, and good for the environment? We will all progress. So that's my insights for today. And thank you for listening. And I hope that you will continue to listen to all the episodes of the Culture and Leadership Connections podcast. And may culture and leadership connections continue to guide and influence your day. Newsflash. Listeners can now interact with Culture and Leadership Connections podcast by leaving a voice or text message on fan list. It is a fun and quick way to let me know what you liked, ask a question, or leave a suggestion. I will feature some of the voice messages on upcoming episodes. You might be surprised to hear your own voice, but only if you leave a message, of course. So to leave your personal message or your question, go to shiftworkplace.com slash podcast and click on the fan list link to leave it. I can hardly wait to hear what you have to say. 